again. Oh, yeah. Don't you love that man? Hallelujah. It's cold water, so don't, don't bring a speaker of cold water. Not good for the vocal cords. How you doing? Everybody good? You're st- you're, you keep coming back. That's good. Praise the Lord. Ah, that's a good sign. Yeah? Come on, look at somebody and give them a high five or something. Lord, we love your word. We're excited about your ministry. We just ask you to saturate, permeate, renovate our hearts with your word from above. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Okay, so we're on this theme, uh, one world government. And, um, you know, I picked these goofy themes like that because... uh, uh, I grew up in this atmosphere where, where you know, the spiritual, the religious, the, the churchy atmosphere was expecting one world government and uh, the reign of the Antichrist. Uh, and so um, uh, I'm trying to tell you that I'm worried about one world government too. But it's a real good worry because I know that Jesus has taken over. And that's why we encourage you to read books like that one that we uh, we were we were talking about it all of last uh, you know several months last year, uh, the book that formed the Western world, um, and uh, so we encourage you we encourage you. What one perspective one problem is is that when we just look at life from our perspective, the current perspective that we have right now then we don't see what God's already done. We don't see how he's already conquered. We don't see how he's already, he's already been leavening the nations. So uh, it's one thing to realize the leavening that's going on right now, how the gospel is literally sweeping the nations. We see, you know, we see trouble in America. We see some backsliding in America. We see some difficulties. We see, and so then we kind of, you know, we, we have a tendency to freak out and buy into the doomsday message uh, but really, Jesus has been winning for 2,000 years, and he's not done winning. Uh, well, that was a good time to clap right there. Exactly. I'm telling you what. Jesus is victorious. He has been victorious. He's going to be victorious. Uh, what he started, uh, he's going to finish. He that's begun a good work in the world is going to see it to the end. Uh, and so, you know, on a macro... Oh, look at that. Warm water. So on a macro, you know, on a microcosm, he that's begun a good work in you will complete it to the end. But on a macrocosm, he, the Holy Spirit, has begun a good work in the earth, and he will complete it to the end. And we, we, want, to, we want to keep agreeing with the time and space theology, because if the victory of Jesus is not going to come until he comes back, literally and physically, and we believe there will be a day like that. We believe there will be a rapture of types. There will be a catching up of the bride. Uh, We do believe those things. But if we believe that victory is for uh, some day at the end when he comes and literally arrives and splits uh, the Mount of Olives with his arrival, and that's when victory begins, then we create for ourselves this environment where defeat is common 
where despair will be nearby and where we'll, we'll be looking to the Lord for comfort, but we won't know that we can look to him for victory. So then we end up, you know, ending every victorious prayer with, if it be thy will. We'll talk about that tonight at the class. We're going to wash, if it be thy will, out of you tonight at the class. So that'll be good. Let's read, uh, let's read about his one world government uh, out of Isaiah chapter 9. This has been our theme text uh, for the last three weeks. Today is number four. Are you tired of this? Good. All right. Isaiah 9, 6, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace to establish it and to uphold it. Oh, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Now, I believe the zeal of the Lord of hosts is living in you. Anybody get the zeal of the Lord living in them? Hallelujah. The zeal of the Lord of hosts is living in us, and he's accomplishing this, and he's been accomplishing it. And I want to touch on that before we end today. I want to, I want to touch on something that I believe is, is very important for us to see and, uh, and understand, discern, and get into agreement over. So we've been talking about this, that your agreement with the rule and the reigning of Jesus over darkness, over demonic power and demonic influence, is participating in his victory and is bringing his victory into greater manifestation. I truly believe that the pre-1900 church, the pre-1900 church didn't have a rapture mindset. Forgive me, but I've, I've got to bring this up just for a moment. Because at the turn of the century, kind of an escapism theology was sown into the church. And so the pre-1900 church didn't have that escape mentality. They had a victory, a dominion, an overcoming theology, and thus they were seeing God do this very thing. And they had this insight, this understanding that if Satan was defeated, and if they agreed with his defeat, if they walked in the victory of Jesus, that illumination would come, light would come, revelation would come. And so as we mentioned that book of which I would love for all of you to read, where he's probably read a thousand books to write that one book. He talks about how that time came out of the church, timekeeping. Education came out of the church. Medicine came out of the church. Science came out of the church. Language came out of the church. That, that just, uh, and he just goes through and he chronicles every, uh, uh, I mean, every innovation. And he talks about these things were birthed in the hearts of the people of God. Even accounting was birthed out of the church. Everything that we just, we take it as normal, we take it. And right now today, uh, secular people are running with these things. Unbelievers are using Excel spreadsheets and they're keeping track of money. But guess what? They don't realize that it was birthed out 
of the people of faith, that it was a revelation of God, that the Bible says that knowledge will increase in the end times, and it's because we have turned to the Lord, we've agreed with Jesus, and His dominion and His life and His love has been the grace and the light that lights every heart and every man, and it's spreading across the globe, and He is leavening the earth with the gospel, with the good news that a son, the Son of Man, that a man is representing us before Father today, and He is on our behalf granting us victory. He is on our behalf granting us victory. He wants you to have victory. And, you know, I I talked about this prayer out of Matthew 6, 9 and following, where Jesus said, pray this way, heaven come. That is that we've got to continue to make that a theme in our heart because that was the first of such a revelation. It was the first of such a revelation that we should be consumed with heaven, not consumed with heaven there, but consumed with heaven coming here, that the more we know about what's happened there and what's happening there and what Jesus has done for us there, then the more we know what is our rightful inheritance here, what a citizen of heaven looks like here. We are citizens of heaven, but we manifest that realm here, here. Come on, that's exciting stuff. That's exciting stuff. So our agreement with, with what Jesus has done is like a battering ram against the demonic realm. It's like a battering ram against the demonic realm. I was thinking about this. You know, the way that we drive out demons with us individually on a microcosm is actually just an example of how we drive them out on the macro level right, is we apply continual force. We apply continual force. We use the name of Jesus. We use the name of Jesus and we apply continual force that Jesus is Lord here, that Jesus is Lord here. That, and, and we begin to say that over our economy. We begin to say that over media. We begin to say that over entertainment. We begin to say that over every branch, over every sphere, over every aspect of culture, that Jesus is Lord over those aspects aspects of culture. Not Lord just because he's great, uh, because he's strong, because he's a bad dude, because he's going to beat him up if they don't submit. No, because the Son of Man. Remember Daniel saw that vision that one like the Son of Man was ascending to the Father and he received the kingdom. And this kingdom that he received was not just the kingdom of heaven, but what he received was authority in the earth. He received the kingdom that had been given to Adam in the first place. He received that kingdom, and he's operating as the restored Adam. 1 Corinthians 15.45, he's operating as the restored Adam, one who's received the kingdom on behalf of all of us. Amen? Hallelujah. What if there's no use of force? I was thinking about this. Um, What we're really learning a lot about, we're learning we have to use force. That using force is very important. I was reading about Britain. I was reading about uh, England specifically in the United Kingdom, but specifically England, how that, you know, they have all of these constables. They have all of these, um, what do they call them? They have a funny name for them. 
You've been there. What are they? No, there's another funny name. What? Yes. Okay, so so they've got all of this police force and they don't have guns. And so they're you know, so they're bragging how they don't have guns. But if you read a little further, you'll find that they have thousands that are a special a special force who do have guns. So when those who don't have guns run into trouble where a gun is needed, they simply call those who have the guns. On September 18th of 2012, police constables Nicola Hughes and Fayana Bone, two greater Manchester police officers, were killed by a person. His name is here, but I won't mention it. In a gun and grenade attack while responding to a report of a burglary in greater Manchester, England. The incident was the first in Great Britain in which two female officers were killed on duty. Police Constable and Chief Peter Foney called the attack cold-blooded murder. And Prime Minister David Cameron described it as a despicable act of pure evil. The deaths renewed the debate about whether British police officers should be armed. I believe we've got lots of Christians running around with all sorts of authority, all sorts of knowledge, all sorts of inheritance, all sorts of strength and grace in God. But if we don't use our authority, then it's as if we didn't have it at all. We can get ourselves in a real pickle. We can get ourselves in a position where trouble's happening. Even those around us can't be rescued if we refuse to pack some lead. If we refuse to pack some power. And, and thankfully, maybe we've got somebody around us who is packing, and so we can reach out and grab them. That is, they're not afraid to use their authority. But how much better if all of us were using the authority that God has given us? Amen? So, and I'm saying these things because I'm trying to encourage you that no matter where we find ourselves in culture, in society, in the generation, in time, whether we like Trump, whether we like Obama, whether we like leadership or no leadership, whether we like Inslee or not Inslee, whether we, wherever we find ourselves in government, wherever we find ourselves and see ourselves in what's happening with media, with education around us, it is no time to wring our hands. It's time for us to use the authority that's been given us to realize that we not only have a badge, we not only have a uniform, Ephesians chapter 6, but we also have power. We've been given power. This is what the disciples were to wait for. Do not leave the city until you are clothed with power, until you are endued with power from on high. Through salvation, through revelation, through visitation, through connection with Jesus, they had received authority, but he said, don't leave the city until you're endued with power because you're going to need the power. And when you have the power and use the power, then you'll find everything turning around before you. Everything will shift. Everything will turn around because primarily our battles, even in education, in government, in media, in, in economics, in business, in relationships, 
Our battle primarily is spiritual first. It's not physical. How many of you believe that? It's spiritual first. We have the grace. We have the power in the Lord, should we exercise it, to win battles and to begin to see things shift and turn at a spiritual level first. And then as we continue to press in with shoe leather and walk the good walk, we'll see things shift in the natural realm as well. Do you believe that? If we focus on a warfare with people, even a warfare with systems, we have to be careful. If that's our primary mode of of operation, then Satan can raise up more people. How many of you know that? So if our focus is on people, if that's our focus is on people, so, so even as we're praying over systems and we're praying over the, the systems that do exist that are manifesting evil, we don't need to address, we don't need to address the people at those systems. We address the spiritual power that's moving those systems forward or controlling those systems, and we'll see things shift. We'll see things shift. We'll see people rearranged as they need to be rearranged without us even praying concerning those people. So we're warring in the spiritual realm. We're warring in the spiritual realm. Let's go to um, the passage that we introduced last week to talk a little bit about this. And to talk a little bit about how we apprehend or bring the kingdom of heaven into the earth. Amen? And it relates a bit to the use of force. Matthew sixteen nineteen. This is what Jesus said. He's talking to the disciples. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, he, he then shifts the discussion so that they understand he's talking about the keys to the kingdom of heaven on earth. Everybody say heaven on earth. So Jesus is introducing to these disciples, he's, going to t- he's telling them that before this is all over, and I would suspect this happened during the 40 days while he walked with them, because during this time and at this moment, they still didn't know who in the world he was. They're still trying to figure it out. After his resurrection on the road to Emmaus, Two of these guys are walking with them, right? And he, he's walking as the resurrected Jesus. And he's, he's expounding on the law and the prophets. And he's explaining how the Messiah is in every single book of the Bible. And then he comes to where they're going to hang out and have dinner. And he sits down at the table. And then he disappears from them. And these two guys are like, We just, we just spent a couple hours walking with Jesus. Didn't our hearts burn while he was talking? They didn't recognize him. They didn't recognize him until he was in their midst. And the moment they all recognized him, he vanishes. He disappears. You know, the Lord loves just playing games with you. We're just, we just have this mystical, mysterious, humorous Savior. He is so fun-loving. Can you imagine how he was cracking up as he vanished? And then he's peering in as they're all discussing, Ah, what was that? Where is he? 
did our hearts burn? When he's telling them that he's going to give them the keys to heaven on earth, they didn't understand. But during that 40-day period, he expounds on the kingdom to them. He explains everything. They know him. They see him. They understand him now as the resurrected one. And they thought what was going to be an earthly kingdom. It was going to be an earthly kingdom. But now they see that it is a spiritual. They begin to understand it's a spiritual kingdom that permeates, that transforms the earth, that supersedes every earthly kingdom, that becomes the supreme earthly kingdom, but spiritual first because it's in the hearts of men. He's explaining this to them. And he says, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. This is the New American. The the New American is doing maybe the best that can be done with this passage because the tense of the Greek is backwards to the way we would think or write, and it's closer maybe to the way Spanish would be, those of you that are listening that that speak in Spanish. So he's he's actually saying here that if it's been bound in heaven, you're going to see this. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven manifesting in the earth. And here's the way it's going to work. If it's been bound in the heavens, then if you'll bind it on the earth, it will be bound in the earth. And then he goes on to say, and whatsoever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Now, the reason this is important is because the very theme that we've been talking on for three weeks is that because Jesus, when he ascended into the heavens, he ascended as the perfect man. He ascended as the supreme man. He resurrected as a man and ascended representing you as a man. And when he got there representing you as the restored Adam, then he bound Satan as a man. Satan had been operating in the heavens because he had usurped Adam's authority, and he was only appearing before God and appearing in the heavens because he had usurped Adam's authority. So he's there, and he has access to heaven. He has access to heaven. Satan did. Lucifer did because he had usurped Adam's authority. You know what that means? That means the first Adam had access to heaven. This is why you can be assured you have access to heaven because you are hidden in the restored Adam. You have full access to heaven. That's why Hebrews 4.16 says that you can come with bold confidence to the throne of God. Where is that throne? In glory, in heaven. You can come with bold confidence to that throne because you are hidden in the supreme man and the supreme man has access to heaven. So when he arrives in heaven, he arrives as the qualified man. He arrives as the perfect man. He, re- he, he arrives as the restored Adam. And when he does this, God pours out upon him the lavish love, the lavish 
essence, the lavish fulfillment of the inheritance that he purposed in Adam in the beginning, and every promise that he's ever made to mankind, every promise that he's ever deemed or desired to pour out upon Adam, God poured it out on Jesus. And so Jesus is overwhelmed and lavished with so much in God that we, we can't even wrap our minds around it. We can't even wrap our minds around all that was lavished on Jesus, and you, friend, are hidden in Him. He qualified you. So what was loosed in heaven on behalf of mankind, on behalf of all who are hidden in Jesus, what was loosed in heaven is every single gift and blessing. This is what Paul says to the Ephesians in chapter 1, verse 3. You are blessed with every spiritual blessing, every blessing there is in Christ Jesus. That he has lavished, God has lavished his love on you, the beloved who is in Christ Jesus. This is why 1 Corinthians, I believe it is, 1 Corinthians, let's find it and see if we can find it. That way we don't make a mistake on purpose, that is. Where is it? 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. They are yes in Christ. Why would they be yes in Christ? Now remember, Christ is not his last name. Christ is the Messiah. Christ is the terminology used from the beginning of time. Christ means the Messiah, the Savior, the Anointed One. The Anointed One. So the promises of God, no matter how many promises there are, every single one of them is yes in Christ Yes, in Christ, and so through him the amen is spoken to us, or the agreement, or the so be it is spoken to us, to the glory of God. The promises of God, every single promise, no matter how many of them, they are yes in Christ. They are yes to Christ, and they are yes in Christ. So he, he uh, arrives in heaven, and loosed upon him is every promise that God has ever made to mankind. If you are in Him now, you, you're, the gun that you carry, the power that you wield, the power to expand the kingdom, the power to cause your life to grow, the power to rescue people around you, the power to rescue our nation, the power to rescue education and media and government, the power, the gun, the power, the lead... The firepower is in you using the promises of God like a battering ram of prophetic grace to declare those promises over your life and over your future and over those around you and over those who have needs. 
when you use the promises of God is like the battering ram of the Spirit that releases the manifestation and the presence of Jesus to invade the atmosphere of whatever you're declaring it over. And things will shift and things will change and they cannot remain the same because in His Word, in those promises, is the DNA to create the likeness of your proclamation. His word is a living thing. It will not fall to the ground, but it will produce what it's sent out of your mouth to do. So we learn from Joshua 1, right? Don't let anything else come out of your mouth. Joshua 1, 6 through 8. Meditate on the word. Meditate the word. Meditate the word. Meditate the word. Don't let anything but these words come out of your mouth. Then you will make your way prosperous and successful. We are our biggest problem. And this machine right here we call the mouth is our largest difficulty. Jesus is not your problem. God is not resisting you. God is not trying to withhold from you. You don't have to talk him into good stuff. He already released it in Jesus over you. He already loosed blessings over you. It is your failure to agree with what you've entered into. You are literally one. Jesus prayed it in John 17. Make them one with us, Father. Make them, that was not some kind of a futile prayer. You know, if they line up, if they straighten out, if they get underneath some kind of a, you know, if they would just stop all that bad stuff, we could make them one. No, he said, make them one. He wants, he wants to make you one. This is what he's ordained, that you would be one. And out of that place, you'll defeat sin. Out of that place, you will defeat bondage. Out of that place, you will defeat the curse. Out of that place. You can't, you can't arrive you can't arrive at some place of holiness and, and, and then think it's all going to happen uh, 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 because your, your good works. It's not the good works of holiness that will, finally, that will finally move you into a... Read Galatians 3. Why have you returned to works? Why have you returned to works? Why, did God do signs and wonders and miracles in your midst because you were perfect? Because you were walking perfectly in the law? No, not a chance. Wow, it got quiet in here. Whoa! It's because the heat system shut off, see? And so we didn't have that white noise running right there. So you're like, whoa, what happened? I don't know. I'm scared. Ah, I'm scared too. Oh. Ah! Okay, so I think the promises of God, the promises of God are... Like the centerpiece, the centerpiece of what we bind and what we loose. They are, they are the centerpiece. They're the fulcrum. They're the, they're the, the, they're the depth of an... So if we go through the promises, and I say that because of so many of these passages, but one of them is Second Peter chapter 1. Second so Peter chapter 1 where he says, and I've got to move quickly because I'm running out of time, but he says that we have been granted everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence, by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises so that by them, by the promises. You've you got to know the promises. Can you imagine a, a sheriff, one who is deputized to 
to apprehend evil, to stop evil, and to ensure goodness. Can you imagine a a deputy who never studies the code book to find out what belongs to the citizens of that particular jurisdiction and kingdom? This is Christians who won't read the Bible. If you won't read the Bible, you'll never discover what belongs to you. And the centerpiece of what belongs to you is the promises of God because the promises of God were poured out upon Jesus who qualified you. And so anything that comes along that starts to steal the promises of God from you or from our culture, our society, or our people is an enemy that must be apprehended. And if you don't know that, then you don't even know to apprehend the enemy. So these precious and magnificent promises have been given to us that by them you may become a partaker of the divine nature. The promises qualify or move you into, or Jesus qualified you, but the promises in your life, the promises you begin to see and agree with, yes and amen, yes and amen, yes and amen, Second Corinthians one twenty. the promises are yes and amen. Those promises actually cause you to begin to manifest the divine nature in your life. You're like, where's the divine nature in my life? It could be, it could be blessing. It could be joy. It could be hope. It could be, right? Because the, the characteristic of Father, the characteristic of the divine nature is the fruit of the Spirit. That's the fruit of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, hope, gentleness, meekness, kindness, self-control, right? So you're like, where is that in my life? Well, that is right on the other side of you agreeing that you are a partaker of the promises of God. The promises of God and your partaking of them moves you into a realm where you begin to partake of the divine nature and everything begins to shift internally and externally in your life. Are you with me? Okay, so we're all right. So um, two more seconds on binding and loosing, okay? Because literally the way we bind things, I mean... uh, we bind, uh, what do you bind? You know, what does the sheriff bind? The sheriff is representing goodness in the county, in his jurisdiction. He knows what the legal rights are of the citizens, that they would prosper and be blessed. So you literally, you apprehend. Sickness comes against you, you take authority over it. Sickness, the Lord rebuke you. Get out of my family, get out of my body, get out of my life. Right? Poverty, discouragement. It could be a an emotional-based issue, fear. Man, I just, oh, I'm just being oppressed with fear. Well, there's a good clue right there. Take authority over that, right? So fear, you have to go. Fear, get out of my life. You don't always have to use the word bind, by the way, but you can use the word bind. But you have the authority to do that. So you can say, fear, you have to go. Get out. The Lord rebuke you. I rebuke you. You're not welcomed here. Go. So anything that's, that's, that's confronting, anything that is working against these promises that you're going to find in the Word, and there's a whole bunch of them. So Satan has been bound. Sickness is bound. Poverty is bound. Folly of mind is bound. The curse, Galatians 3.13, the curse is bound. He did away with the power of the curse against you. Yes? 
immorality and all of its fruit is bound. Hatred is bound. Jealousy bound. Murder bound. Covetousness bound. So the things even that pertain to the carnal nature, actually you have the power to begin to say, get out of me, get off of me. Through the cross that's been crucified, so I don't have to listen to your voice anymore. You're the voice of a former person that has been put to death in the cross. I'm not subject to your influence anymore. Go, release me, let go. Amen? Then we loose things. Namely, loosing means we receive, we acknowledge, we let go, we, we turn it loose. We turn it loose. Healing is loosed in my life. Recovery, strength, grace, courage, the promises of God are loosed in our lives, and we begin to say that, we declare that. And uh, I think somewhere I had a list of some of those things that we might declare. I'm looking for that good, wonderful list. Can you think of one right now? Anybody shout it out? What's something you might want to lose? Love, life, power, resources. You follow me? You get this? You all right with it? The book of Acts is called the book of Acts because of the Acts of the Apostles. When Jesus ascended, the apostles continued to do this. They never prayed for the sick the way we pray for the sick. Lord, heal this person. They healed the sick. They cast out devils. They healed the sick. They saw great provision. They they did amazing things. And and the book is full of these examples. So Acts chapter 3, Peter and John healed a man at the gate. Beautiful. Acts chapter 5, more signs and wonders. Acts 5.17, prison doors open for the apostles miraculously. Acts 5, again, Peter's shadow heals people. They were so partakers of heaven that heaven was literally on them to such a level that Peter's shadow would heal people. Come on, say, that's me. I'm a partaker of that. I have a rightful place in heaven. Heaven has a rightful place in me. Why did they hate Stephen? Why did they stone Stephen? Because this ordinary man was going about working signs and wonders everywhere he went. Philip was transported to another location after he was working more signs and wonders. Philip goes to Samaria, and and even the witches and the warlocks are converted in Samaria. They're all baptized in the Holy Spirit. Ananias prays for Paul, and he receives his sight. He was blind. Then he's baptized in the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, a Galatian, I mean a, a, a Gentile, is converted, and they're all prophesying, and they all receive the Spirit. Acts 14, there's more. Acts 20, more. Acts 28, 7, there's more. Acts 28, Paul shakes off a viper, and they think that he's one of the Greek gods. Because the viper bit him, filled his body with venom, and he just shakes it off and continues to go on preaching. Then, then they're shipwrecked uh, wrecked on some island called Malta or something, and, and, and Paul heals all who were brought to him. Now, this continued. The book is full of the acts of the apostles because they were partakers of heaven. And what happened is the partakers of heaven begin to shift uh, and, and I'm out of time, but I, I got to keep going. 
So I'm, I'm going to have to get permission from the pastor. Okay, so we, we just got permission to keep moving ahead. Uh, I have to say this because, listen, listen. We have, we don't, we're not connecting the dots, I don't think, between signs and wonders and reformation and culture. I don't think we're connecting the dots. And I, I wanted to take a moment and connect the dots for you because Paul says when he came to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, when I came, I didn't come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. I determined actually to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Now, now their ministry was much like the ministry that we maybe have today. We're in this culture where we see this uprising of, of legalization of marijuana and homosexuality and, and all sorts of things that are really contrary to biblical values. And so in that day, they're trying to spread the gospel also in an environment where actually God was maligned and hated and the gods that they had gave approval to an unclean lifestyle. So he comes in fear and trepidation, right? Kind of the way we maybe approach the world today. And we don't, and if we, and I'm telling you what revolutionized the world in that day was not their message, it was power. And part of what the enemy is trying to do right now is to seduce and to bring forth a powerless church. A people who cannot bring heaven to anyone. If you can't bring heaven to anyone, they can't be touched by heaven. If they can't be touched or changed by heaven, they don't know that they need the values of heaven. Those who've been touched, transformed, healed delivered, revolutionized by a touch from heaven will desire the values of heaven. This is how, this is part of how, I want you to see this, this is part of how culture shifts, societies are transformed. It starts not with your speech at the city council meeting. It doesn't start, it, you'll notice, you'll notice he said you're going to fail if you leave Jerusalem without power. Do not leave the city until you are clothed with power. It is a power confrontation with demonic realm. It is a power manifestation with those who need a healing all around you this week. You, I'm telling you, I'm releasing boldness over you right now that those who have the scoliosis and those who have the broken leg, you're thinking, well, I, that's just foolish and that's not how the gospel is spread and I don't want to get involved in that and, and I don't think that's necessary. We just need, we need changes in city councils and school districts and we need changes. I'm telling you, one of the key ways that change will come is by those who manifest heaven. When you manifest heaven, those who receive impartation from heaven will want the values of heaven. 
This is why the Muslims that are having revelations from Jesus, visitations and dreams from Jesus, touches and healings, and they're seeing signs and wonders in these nations. This is why it's completely shifting also their perspective of law and life. Because when you've received a touch from the supreme man from heaven, you also want his value system. I stand, and um, I need the band to come to help me close. Somehow I need, I need help somehow. In a book, listen, in a book called The Fall, The Decline, and the Fall of the Roman Empire, Edward Gibbon inquires, by what means the Christian faith obtained such a remarkable victory over the established religions of the earth? And he says there's only one explanation, the miraculous power ascribed to the primitive church. And then he goes on to explain that the, fir- that the early Christians, the first and the second and the third century Christians were so energized with power that demons could not stand in their midst, that they would not, they would not, that there was no fear of the demonic realm, that they knew that the victory of Jesus belonged to them. And it was that invasion of power. It was that sweet, sweet fragrance of healing and deliverance and ministry to those who had needs that caused people to turn from their idols and from their answerless perspectives to a living God. So it is with us. This went on, this went on, this went on. Bishop Clement in AD 100 confirms it was supernatural, supernatural works that empowered them. I wanted to give you more. I want to read about these early church fathers uh, uh, in the first century, the second century, the third century. Uh, Irenaeus, uh, Tertullian, uh, St. Augustine, all of them testify. All of them testify that what they relied upon and what made the difference in their communities was a gospel with power. This is not beyond you. Heads bowed, eyes closed, just for a moment. This is not beyond you. You don't need 50,000 more hours of prayer. You don't need to crawl on special carpet to get to it. I'm telling you, this begins with a special, with, this begins with a, a, a desire of the heart. This begins with casting out all of those doctrines you've learned that this is not for you, that you're not good enough, that you're not qualified, that this is not for this age, that this is not important, that this won't transform society or culture. We're just going to put all of that in a Ziploc bag right now. Take all of that. Just drag it out of your brain right now. Put it in a Ziploc bag. Zip it up and cast it. Just a big heave-ho up in the sky. There's some angelic spirits just going to take that from you right now. Just take all of that 
negative thinking, all of that disqualified thinking, and just put it in that Ziploc bag right now. And just say, no more will I walk in this. No more will I see life this way. No more will I think this way. No more will I settle for a powerless life. No more, no more, no more. The Lord has given me power. The Lord has qualified me with power. The Lord has made me one who is powerful. Come on, just say that to yourself. Eyes closed. Just stay right there in that prayer mode. But just say that to yourself. The Lord has qualified me. The Lord has made me powerful. The Lord has enabled me. Come on, say it, say it, say it, say it. We owe the world a power gospel. We owe the world a gospel with power. Every one of us have felt, every one of us have felt this pull, this push of calming down. Every one of us have felt this push away from the miraculous. Satan has been working on our hearts. He's trying to numb the church. He's trying to make us a little social gospel mission group. I'm telling you, if you've not been cultivating within you a sign and wonder spirit, a miraculous appetite, a yes within you, a yes to the promises wherein the divine nature is transmitted then God wants you to make a holy shift this morning. God wants you to make a holy shift this morning. He wants you to stir up a spiritual appetite that has a holy yes to it, that has a yes and amen to it, that begins to say, I receive the miraculous power and the demonstration of the gospel. I receive the miraculous power and the demonstration of Jesus. I can't talk anybody into this gospel. I can't talk anybody into this gospel. Oh, but if I will show them the power of God, when they feel, when they sense, when they see the goodness of God working on their behalf, even before they come to know Him, even before they acknowledge their sins are forgiven, even before they accept Him as Savior, what a revolution will come to their heart and their mind. on as we sing this morning. I want you to dedicate your heart anew and afresh. I want you to dedicate your heart anew and afresh to cultivating a yes within you. To cultivating an appetite for the miraculous within you. To cultivating within you an appetite for heaven on earth. Heaven on earth. Heaven on earth. And not only for you. Yes, you're packing right now. But for those who aren't packing, for those that don't have their gun, for those that don't know it's theirs, for those that don't know they can have it, for those those that don't know they can manifest this level of living, I want you to cultivate. And I want you to, as we worship, even come to the front and let's just commit our hearts to the Lord and say we will, we will cultivate this appetite within us. We will be a signs and wonders people. We will be a people of power. We will continue to develop within us an appetite for the signs and wonders, the miracle working of Jesus. We will not give up on this. We will not back down on this. We will not be quiet about this. We will not be calm. We will be the aggressive ones who go in where we belong, go into the heavens where we belong, and bring in to the earth that which is ours in the heavens. You did.